So nice to be able to get into our Christmas series. So what are we? It's still November, so it almost feels a little bit weird, doesn't it? Talking about Christmas, and we're not actually in December yet, but it's okay. We're going to take a nice long run up to Christmas this year. Hands up who's already done their Christmas shopping. I'm always deeply impressed with people who've done their Christmas shopping. We've got a few. We've got a few. Oh, go India. Good on you. That's good, Vicky. Okay, most impressive. And what I do see, however, is many, many people who have not. And, and, and we need to be thinking about this, people, right? It gets pretty manic and crazy from here on in. Right? Christmas can be a really crazy time, right? I heard the story of an older, uh, an older gentleman. He wasn't, that, he wasn't actually that old, let's be honest. He wasn't that old at all. But he was driving home on the motorway uh, at Christmas time, and his wife, Summer, calls him on the cell phone and says in a worried voice, Sean, honey. Sean, be careful. I just heard on the radio that there's a madman driving the wrong way down the southern motorway. And Sean shouts back, honey, I can't talk right now. Turns out there's not just one madman, there are hundreds of them. And sometimes we can feel a bit like that, right? Surrounded by crazy people, surrounded by busy... Thanks, Sean, for... I know, I, I suddenly saw you and went, I can't go that way. It's all good. Uh, young men, yeah, fine young men. Sometimes we can feel like we're surrounded by craziness at Christmas. And, and I just don't know if that's what it was meant to be. I mean, you go to the mall, right? on any weekday, from now on basically, go to the mall on any Saturday and it is just a frightening place to be. Actually, I managed to get some actual footage of me in the Sylvia Park Mall last Christmas. Now, this may be disturbing viewing for some men, but it illustrates just how frightening it can be. If we can please show that video, that would be great. This is Sylvia Parkmore, Black Friday, the week before Christmas. The doors have opened, and this is me. I have but one course of action. I need to flee to stay alive. It turns out that I was between all of these shoppers and the fact that Kmart, Farmers, and Glassons all had 50% off store-wide. The crowds just kept coming and coming and coming. 250 stores, 4,000 car parks, and at my brief count, several million people, and I could feel the terror rising within me. It was a very stressful time, and then suddenly out of nowhere, I saw rising up in front of me what looked like hope. It was one of those pop-up Christmas calendar shops, and I climbed on and clawed my way onto it, pretending to be looking at a Christmas kitten's calendar, but I knew that I was in deep trouble. Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit had seen my plight. And he had spoken to Liz, who was nearby and therefore knowing the mortal danger I was in. And she came for me. I could see what could happen. This was a distressing time. I'd seen other husbands crushed and beaten, slumped over a half-eaten butter chicken in the crowded food court, weeping quietly into their sugar-free Coke, too afraid to try and leave. It was like the evil one himself was plotting my demise. But Liz, risking her own life, came for me. She finally reached me and grabbed me, but then was run over by a middle-aged mother of three cutting right across to get to a sail rack in Cuba. But she held on and managed to get me to a high place, to a safe place. She lifted me up and she deposited me in the coffee club which we will see in just a moment. This is actual footage of Liz carrying me to Coffee Club. There I am in Coffee Club. And then 
she was swept away in the chaos and I did not know if I would ever see her again. This is the trauma, ladies and gentlemen, that happens at Christmas. Now, I want to I finish the story for you. For some of you will be worried about this. Liz made it through. Not only did she save my life that day, but she told me that despite the appearance of 11 shopping bags she was carrying, she actually saved us $350. Woman, amazing. I asked her if I could see the money, and she told me it didn't work that way. I mean, who am I? I'm a simple husband. I'm just grateful she came for me that day. But like, is this what Christmas is about? But I don't know about you guys, but it literally feels like that for me from now on through to Christmas. It feels like any time you go out, is just chaos on the roads, chaos in the malls. It feels like we just try and get to Christmas, and when Christmas is done, the chaos is ended, and then we start into a new year. But I'm not entirely sure if that's how we should be looking at Christmas. As we come into this Christmas season, I want us to look at key players and key moments in the Christmas story. And over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be looking at. And today, I want us to take a look at a very special person in the Christmas story, and that is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Let's go to the text today. Let me read this to you. And then, uh, and then I want us to take a moment to notice what we see in the text. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Father God, we pray that you speak to us through your amazing word today, God. Open this before us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what do we notice from this text? Now, there are numerous cultural, spiritual, and practical things that we can find as we go through this. Firstly, we're introduced to Mary and Joseph and their lineage. We we also catch a glimpse of Jewish cultural practices around marriage. This idea of being pledged was an engagement that was considered to be as committed as marriage, although the couple didn't come together for a year after that pledging. We see again that God sends angels as messengers. And we also see that angels have names. Angels are perceptive and caring. We see that in the text regarding our emotional state. The angel did not want Mary to be feeling afraid. He didn't want her to be in a state of fear. 
And then we see that angels can prophesy. This angel brings this prophetic utterance. Not only that, the angel also explains the mechanism of Mary's conception. She will be overshadowed, literally enveloped in a bright cloud that casts shade. It refers to the Shekinah glory of God's presence. In fact, the same word is applied to the cloud of glory that the disciple Peter found himself in on the Mount of Transfiguration when God spoke to him. And then this word is confirmed to Mary by the supernatural evidence of God's miraculous power in Elizabeth's life. And then finally, we see Mary, her positioning of herself. She is the Lord's servant. That her entire relationship with God is, God, you are God and I am not, and I exist to serve you, Lord. Your will, your word be done in my life. And, and, and we see that faith, that trust that she has, that is so important. But this is also a, a highly stressful situation, right? The wider context of what's going on at the time tells us that. Mary was a young, engaged and soon-to-be pregnant woman in a culture that killed women caught having sex out of marriage. There was no domestic financial support for a single woman having a baby out of wedlock. And she was living in a country that had been invaded and oppressed by a foreign army that taxed people incredibly highly. I mean, this was a terrible time economically. It was a terrible time to be a person of faith in this nation. And it was not a great time in history to be a woman, to be frank. And then God turns up, sends an angel and says, hey, you're going to be pregnant. And before you get married, and, and this is going to be your cover story. You know, just tell them that I told you. You're like, wow, that's awesome, God. Thank you so, so much for that. That is super helpful. You see, I think sometimes in times like this, the devil's intent is to put pressure on and to steal and kill and destroy what each of us are called to do, what Mary was called to do. And yet God's intent was not to end her life. God's intent was to begin her life, to begin something new for her and indeed for all humanity. Now, what we now celebrate as Christmas time, it's a great time, right, for a whole bunch of reasons. Firstly, it's here again. Isn't it great that we get to do this again and again and again? We get to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We get to celebrate God himself coming to earth not just once, but we get to do this every year. And that is astonishing in the secular country that we are in. Secondly, I love the fact that God came to an unknown young Jewish girl, somebody ordinary. God didn't come to someone known, someone with a name, someone with position or status or success. God isn't only looking for famous people or successful people, and we see this illustrated powerfully in this story. And it's interesting when you read what they are called to do, because really, boiling it down, all her and Joseph are called to do is to keep Jesus alive. Like, that's it. Like, just have him, raise him, and keep him away from people who are trying to kill him. Do whatever you got to do. Go wherever you got to go. You know, it's like God saying, I'm going to help you out with this. I'm going to give you some warnings. But you have got to get Jesus through to adulthood. I mean, I think this is so encouraging, right? They weren't called to find a cure for cancer or invent the next iPhone, or evangelize this city. It was like a pretty simple call, right? You're going to have a baby, it's a tough time. Just keep this baby alive. 
And I love this. I love the fact that God was looking for a team. See, they got to do that together, right? God came to a woman who was in a committed relationship with a guy called Joe. He was looking for a team. They got to work it out together. They got to argue it through, I'm sure, at times together. They got to make a life together in this thing that God was calling them to do. So what I want to do this morning is I want to just share from from that just a few important lessons that I think that we could all do well to take on board as we come into this Christmas season. Firstly, God is looking for someone ordinary to do something extraordinary through. Commentator David Guzik says, Gabriel said three things to Mary. Each of these was certainly true of Mary, who had a unique privilege among any person to ever live. She was highly favored. The Lord was with her, and she was blessed. However, he goes on, all of these things are true of the believer in Jesus. We are highly favored as Mary was. Ephesians 1 verse 7, the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. We are favored. Secondly, the Lord is with us too. Matthew 28 verse 20, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And thirdly, we too are blessed. Ephesians 1 verse 3, he who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. See, the great news about Mary is not that she was someone different to us. The great news about Mary is that she was someone the same as us. You know, many years ago, when I was a brand new pastor, um, I was invited to go to uh, a church conference. It was in another city. I went with um, another senior pastor that I knew and a, a young businessman who was a contemporary of mine. And as we went on this trip, I found this experienced pastor and the successful young businessman talking about business, talking about the things of God, talking about the church. And honestly, I just, was, I just felt like the kid. I was so intimidated. I couldn't keep up with the conversation. It was, it was a really very unsettling time for me. And I found myself in the midst of one of the conference sessions, and we were in worship before the speaker began. And, and I'm just standing there, and I'm worshiping the Lord, and I am just feeling so ordinary, so unqualified, so unready, so unable to do this thing. And as I'm standing with my hands raised, I just said out loud to the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm not smart. I'm not as smart as these guys are. But God, I love you. And if you can do anything with that, I'm your God. And in that moment, I just felt God show me that is exactly what I am looking for. Can I say to you that this Christmas, let's be reminded that if you love God, that you are just the guy or just the girl that God is looking for. God is looking for someone ordinary this Christmas to do something extraordinary through. The second thing this morning is that God is looking for a team. I love this. You see, God didn't choose Mary who happened to be engaged to a guy called Joe. God chose Mary precisely because she was engaged to this guy called Joe. It wasn't just about Mary. It was also about Joe. It was going to be challenging. I mean, the girl that God chose would need a guy honorable enough 
to love the Word of God, but to understand God's grace and be willing to, to care more for this young woman than even for doing perhaps what the law said that maybe he should do, especially when he found out about the pregnancy and heard Mary's story. God needed to have a young guy strong enough to handle the stigma of a pregnant fiancé to whom the child was not his. God needed a young guy who would be willing to handle the disapproval from religious people and brave enough to move cities repeatedly for the sake of his family. Make no mistake, Mary and Joseph were a team and God called them together. Now, I want, to, I want to just for a moment take a, take a look at my life and, and I, just, I, don't, I want us to understand the intent of what I'm saying. But let's just say for a moment that way, way, way back, God was looking for some ordinary guy to pastor a church, pastor a couple of churches, maybe even lead the denomination for a while. And let's say that God chose me. I would suggest that God didn't choose me who happened, happened to be married to a girl called Liz. I would suggest that God chose me because I was married to a girl called Liz. Because the guy God chose would need to be with a girl strong enough to handle the pressures of the job, strong enough to cope with my struggles, with burnout and depression along the journey, without saying legitimately, you know what, I didn't sign up for this, I'm out. God knew that I would need someone who was brave enough and wise enough and strong enough to time after time after time do the work to bring us as a couple back together when in my exhaustion, in my offense, I would stonewall her, I would shut down, I would check out. Liz, I I say this honestly, Liz is the hero of our story. We are a team. And God was looking for a team. Can I say to you, God is not looking for you to do anything on your own. God is not calling you to the task that he's calling you to on your own. Maybe it's your marriage that is the team. Maybe it's your small group that's your team. Whatever it is. Maybe it's the workplace that you're in that's your team. But whatever it is, know this. God hasn't called you to do this on your own. So this Christmas... Remember, it's not all about you. You don't have to carry the load alone. God never intended you to. So lean in. Lean towards people, not away from people. Recognize those has called you with. And take a fresh look at what they have brought to your journey. Maybe it's time for us to change our expectation for appreciation. Thirdly, God is calling you to something simple. Not easy. Let's not for a moment suggest that what Mary and Joseph were called to was easy. Keeping Jesus alive was not easy. Changing cities and changing cities again, being on the run from people, dealing with hostile religiously, it was not easy. But what God was calling them to was simple. Mary and Joe had this kid, get him to adulthood. Simple. The disciples 
Matthew 28, go and make every person you come across into a disciple of Jesus in every nation you find yourself. Simple. Titus, Titus 1 verse 5. Titus, go and I want you to appoint elderships in every one of these little congregations that we have started. That's it. Simple. Congregation members uh, of the churches on Crete, we read about in Titus chapter 3. Devote yourselves to doing what is good in the communities that you are in. Meet urgent needs. Don't live unproductive lives. Simple. Jesus, do good and heal all who are under the power of the devil, as Acts tells us, as the summary of his life. Simple. What is it for you? What has God called you to do and to be in this season? What has God called you and to be as we come to Christmas? It will not be complex. It doesn't mean it will be easy. But what has God called you to do? Is it provide for your family? Is it create a space where people can gather? Is it get your kids through? Is it be a light in your workplace? You know, listen, I have, we have a couple who are friends of ours, and, and I, this is just my take on it, but it appears to me that the call of God on their lives is to love people through food. Love people through food. I don't know if you know anyone like this, but this couple, man, they are foodies. They are real foodies. They both work in, in impressive jobs, and they, they're doing cool stuff. But every time we are with them, whether it's just us or whether there's a wider group of friends, it always seems that there's something that happens around food. They are so good at it. They prepare, and they, and they cook, and then we all eat together. But I tell you what, it's an event, and it goes very, very slowly. For me, cooking is all about one thing, how fast we can get this done. But when I'm with them, it's like, no, we, don't, we, we kind of go to, to be a part of this experience. We sit around, we very often watch them slowly prepare the food, cook it while we talk. You know, the very first time I noticed it, I, I was sitting at their, uh, at their kind of kitchen counter one evening, we'd been invited around for dinner, and, and and they're cooking in the kitchen, and we're just sitting there with a, with a, um, with a drink, and, and we're chatting, and we're talking as they cooked. And I, w- I slowly became aware of how as we were just sitting there doing this, it was like all the stress was draining out of me. It was like peace was refilling me and taking its place. It was like, it was like I was able to breathe again. It was a very special moment, I need to tell you. It was like holy ground. And I noticed in that moment, as I reflected on time spent with these guys, that this is what happened every time. Every time we were with these guys, there was always food. There was always this slowdown. There was always this intimate talking. There was always this draining out of stress, filling in with peace. Honestly, it was like I was literally being filled with the Spirit again every time we sat with these people. I think this is part of what they do. I think this is part of what they're actually anointed to do. I think God reveals himself to people in those times. I really do. And it's simple. And I would venture that more lives are touched by God around mealtimes with these guys than actually lives are touched sometimes in some churches. And I think back to Mary and who she was and what she was called to do. And that for her, Christmas wasn't the end for her Christmas was actually just the beginning. 
can I ask you as we come into this Christmas season? What is it for you? What has God called you to do or be? What has God anointed you to do or be? Because I feel if there's one thing we've got to do this Christmas, we need to take the pressure off. If a team could come now, that would be awesome. Let's be ordinary this Christmas. Let's not feel the pressure to have to, to perform or put on something extraordinary or, or, or you know, be the one who, who makes Christmas happen for everybody else. Let, let's remember that actually God called us to be ordinary. He calls ordinary people, and that's okay. And God can still do extraordinary things through ordinary people. Secondly, let's do it with others this Christmas. Let's make it a priority to lean into team. Whether that's our spouse, whether that's our kids, whether that's extended family, whether that's close friends, whether that's strangers. But this Christmas, let's do it with others. Let's remember that God has never called any of us to do this alone. And then finally, let's keep it simple. Let's keep it simple. What is it that you are called to bring? Because you are not called to bring everything. You are not called to do everything. What is the thing that you are called to do? For me, because one of my spiritual gifts is around teaching, as bizarre as it may sound, I've realized that one of the things that I do is I bring quizzes. Whenever we have a, a family birthday or a Christmas time, I've worked out that one of the things that I do is I have a quiz prepared, some kind of funny general knowledge kind of a thing. I have it tucked away, and so when we hit that slightly flat spot around the table, when things start to quieten off, I go, hey, guys, I've got, some, I've got a quiz for you. And everyone perks up, and we have a whole lot of fun. I don't have to be the life of the party. I don't have to be the funny person. I don't have to do all of these things. But I do know that there's one thing that I'm quite good at that seems to add joy and life in our family gatherings. And I long ago let go of the guilt of not being all things to all people. Be ordinary. Do it with others. Keep it simple. Trusting God that in his bigger picture, what you do matters. Come on, let's pray. Mighty God, I thank you, Lord, for the fact that we are coming into the season, Lord, which culminates in the celebration, God, of you coming to earth. But God, I pray, Lord, that for each of us, that it's not just a finishing, but more importantly, it's a beginning, that we go into the next year because you are with us, that we go forward into the things that are still out in front of us because you live in us, because everything changed when you came to earth. God, I pray that this Christmas time, God, that you will help us to take the stress off, take the pressure off, that we might walk simply and the call that you have on our lives, that you might be with us and bless us. And that we might, we might remember Mary in this season, this ordinary woman, favored and blessed by God, just like we are, called as part of a team, just like we are, and called to do something simple. I pray, God, that for each one of us here, you will make it clear to us what's one thing that we can do this Christmas to be your blessing in our world. In Jesus' name.